guys. Welcome to another episode of Virtual Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. This is a game changer. This gentleman has an amazing book that it's short, but it's a truly game changer. But first of all, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Ryan Hemhauser of Disgruntled Veterans. They're one of the largest veterans organizations in the world, and they help veterans like myself that are struggling with PTSD and depression. And they do a lot of great things, and they're actually having one of their own vet fest coming up in June. So check them out at disgruntledvets.org. Jose, my brother, how yes, are you? Yes, sir. Good, good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, man. You know, your book is very short, but very powerful. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the compliment. Oh, it's true. You know, I'm holding it right now and I'm going to take some pictures. I'm going to do a post later. So how are you doing? What's going on with you? Good, good. Um, I just finished coming out of my other job. Uh, I'm actually, I was at the high school uh, speaking with some of the kids out uh, in the area where I live at. And that now I'm here with you. So just got yep. off shift from last night from my other job. And then I just had off to the uh, school and now here. So where are you originally from? Um, I was born and raised in the South Bronx. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Jersey, so we're not too far yeah. from each other. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to get together and do lunch sometime. Definitely. Yes. So what kind of little kid was Jose? Uh, what kind of kid I was I? Well, I was uh, a troubled kid um, mentally, um, more of the surrounding was, was more what I'm trying to say is that the surrounding that I lived at, uh, I was living in a different stage of life because um, I was showing something other than what they're not supposed to be showing. And so with that said, I, I was pretty much trying to live day by day in the environment that I was living at and also in the house that I was at as well. Now, were the parents together or were they, they separated? Uh, well, my folks were together on and off. They weren't married. Um, it was more, I, I, my mother had gave birth to me. She was 17. So she was a young girl. And, and a, a month before I was born, uh, my grandmother had passed away, which I never got to meet, which is my mother's mom. And so with that said, um, end up happening uh, back in the 70s, in the early 70s. Uh, they were kind of worried if she should keep the baby or not, which was me. And then my aunt stepped into the game because she was a lot older. And then she took all of us in. And um, and my father was just in and out of their life. He was uh, a mechanic. Uh, he was good at what he did. He did a lot of body uh, body mechanic, actually, body work. And uh, at the time, he had already about two business. And he ran them, but he also did a lot of drugs. He was inside a jail, um, a womanizer, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. So <laughs> that's pretty much how my parents, that's what I grew up around that when I was a child. So pretty much you learned everything not to do right. as an adult. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, what kind of, were you a good student? Um, no, no, no. Um, apparently, I was not a good student. Uh, I was a nice kid, um, for for my for my understanding, I was. But back in the days, uh, they found me to be a problem kid to the class. Uh, they would say that I was very disruptive. I uh, couldn't sit still. I always talked too much. 
um, I never pay attention. And um, so with all that, uh, it just started piling on. And, and then they kept putting me in different classes because um, I'm bilingual. But back then days, you're Spanish, they would just stick you in a bilingual class and, uh, and then just hope for the best. And so as I was growing up, I liked going to school when I got older, but then I still had mixed feelings because of um, what I was taught and what I was exposed to. Now, were you an athlete? Did you play sports at all? No. The only sports I did was running away from cops. That's the best athlete I can do. I was a good runner. Um. <laughs> so what about when you hit high school? What kind of kid were you when you hit high school? When I hit high school, I went to music uh, and arts. Actually, I went to graphics communication arts. And how I ended up in there was... Uh, by that time, I was already what you call a ringer. I don't know what they call them now, but I was too old for my class. For the grade that I was in, I was too old because I had failed multiple times in the younger time, uh, in my first grade, second grade, and I had to repeat third grade again. That by the time I went to junior high school, I never even went to eighth grade. They went, they skipped me from seventh all the way to nine because of my age. And um, and how that ended up happening was the teacher, the class that I was in, the teacher took a, an interest of not knowing that I was a good artist. And that was my hustling. I used to draw anything for any kids just to get a couple of dollars in my pocket. And I never really showed up to class. I was pretty much just uh, a truant through almost all my life through school because of, uh, of what I ended up discovering growing up with my with my hearing impaired okay so talk to us about that hearing impairment all right so in 78 going to 79 we came from we moved up from the Bronx to Middletown New York Orange County um and there I was repeating third grade I had a teacher Mrs. Perez that took an interest of students like she was so different to what we we taught what you're taught in the city the kids in the uh, the teachers in the city back in them days were more like i just here to make money that's it they really didn't care the classes were overpopulated they didn't have time they just you know it, it was it, it was a very different hostile environment in other words but it was like you you hear and that's it and you listen you shut up if you don't then there's the ruler and that's what you get and so when I now encountered this teacher in third grade. It was a whole different, uh, a whole different uh, environment for me. For the fact that she was very loving, very caring, very nurturing. Um, she took her time to listen to us. Uh, she really encouraged us. Anything that we did, she was always, you know, like supporting us. Well, meanwhile, I wasn't getting that at home with my mother. All I was doing was getting uh, beat. Now, I was just getting whipped every time. I was getting abused every time on a daily basis from my mother. And so this teacher decided to realize that something, you know, she actually noticed something was off. So she called me up to the desk. And then at the desk, as she's talking, she starts lifting up a piece of paper over her mouth. And I'm trying to see over the paper and trying to wonder what, what you know, like I'm just trying to figure out what, what is she saying? And then she just stopped and told me, you know, don't worry, you know, don't worry. Just go sit down. Don't worry about it. Be good. And at the end of the class, she gave me a letter to get to my mother. 
that letter changed my whole entire life and everything in my house. Um, we end up in a place called CP Center in Goshen. And that place is an audiologist. They deal with hearing. And she noticed something was off because every time I speak to her or she'll ask me something, I will answer back thinking that's what I heard. But when I answered back, it was actually similar to what she said, but it wasn't. And so they did the whole test. And that day, uh, I remember my mother crying. That woman was crying for like a whole week. And she, then I felt bad because every time something went wrong at home, it always, I, I felt like it was me because that's why I was brought up because every time something happened, she used to blame me and I used to get beat. And so without even knowing why she's crying, I'm over here taking the fault. I'm here like, you know, don't, don't worry, ma. You know, I, I love you. Everything's okay. Um, you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about it. I'll try to be better. And I was always apologizing for being better, not knowing what I did. And, and she just uh, started hugging me. And then she told me that she loved me. And, and she said, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I, 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 sh I never even knew. And she just kept crying. I'm trying to like figure out what she's talking about. And then eventually she tells me that I'm deaf in one ear and I'm moderately lost on the other. So I'm deaf in my right ear and moderately lost on my left. And according to them, as I got older, as I'll get older, um, I will eventually lose my hearing. And so that kind of shifted a lot in my house because now she became the mom that I always wanted her to be, you know, that, that mom that was giving me that love, the attention and, and, and being nurturing and caring that because of an act, a kindness act that the teacher did, uh, she shifted everything, not only in my life, but she shifted everything that took place around me at home. Um, and, and that's how that came about. And do you, did you have, did they have to give you hearing aids and stuff like that? Yeah, they gave me a hearing aid. So, and it was crazy because then I was so excited that we got to the bottom of the problem. So I thought, <laughs> and we're like, oh, this is so great. I don't have to worry about anything else now. You know, like we found the solution. You know, they, we found the problem. Now we have a solution. And so they gave me this hearing aid that was bigger than my ear. Because at the time, that's, they were trying to, uh, they were doing the new ones that was outside over your ear. And uh, um, I was not like, accustomed to that. I, I was not prepared or ready for it. So when they gave me this thing, um, automatically, I was now categorizing the state of New York as a handicap. And so what they ended up doing was they pulled me out of mainstream class and they put me in a handicap class, special ed. And that's when things just got worse, the step for me, that is. Things got good at home, <laughs> but then things got bad at school and in uh, and, and the environment that was in. Yeah, because, you know, being in that environment and, and kids can be cruel as it is. And, yes. You yes. Know, and then all of a sudden they see you stayed back a couple of years and then they see you in a resource room. It's right. kind of like, all right, well, let's pick on Jose day. You yeah. Know? And, and it was pretty much just like that. You know, so it, it was kind of rough because then, um, you know, back in the days, what they did was it's not like now we have a lot of resource and a lot of technology, a lot of a lot of programs that they can try to throw these kids wherever they need and wherever they fit for their needs. But then that back in the 70s into the early 80s, they just put them all in one class and they gave you a nice, happy teacher. That's it. She didn't care if you were right or wrong when you did your exams or whatever. 
long as you show up to school and you're doing the best you can, that's perfect. But what they didn't realize by they doing that is what they were doing was they were hindering us. They were pretty much setting us to a fail because now they're not teaching us that it's okay to fall. It's just as long as you don't stay there. <laughs> you know, that you got to get some cuts and bruises sometimes in order for you to learn because if it doesn't challenge you, it's never going to change you. And so um, that's what ended up really happening. And so then uh, I had kids just picking on other kids in, in, you know, in my class. And I used to just sit by myself. I was the guy that would sit all the way in the back, leaving the body, even if I couldn't hear nothing. That even made it better for me. Cause like, that was my excuse. I'm deaf, I can't hear you. I'm sitting all the way in the back. And, um, and so I just, just you know, sit there and watch these other kids get picked on along with myself getting bullied. Um, and, and it was tough and it was tough. So what did you do when you graduated high school? What was your mission? What did you do? There, you know, the, uh, the interesting part was um, I major in graphic arts. Um, that's, that was my escape when I was a kid. I loved drawing. Uh, I did that for a long, long time. And, and for me, there was something that I had, for me, I felt like that was a way to control my world. Like I can do whatever I want and nobody can tell me anything while I'm drawing because that was my whole life. You know, like I, I drew my life in, in paper. So what ended up happening was um, I was I, I was already a, a parent. You know, I became a father at the age uh, 18. And so, of course, I didn't get the luxury to go to college, like, you know, right after high school or even do anything of that nature. Um, and the crazy thing is, I never even got to graduate high school. I had to leave because uh, at the time when I was in the Bronx, my brother decided to move out to Middletown. And then I stood with my my real father in the Bronx, and uh, which became a nightmare because he was always high and drunk. And, you know, there was like, it was Friday night in my, in my father's house almost every night. He would bring in all kinds of hookers to the house and and it was just, it was a rough environment at the time. So I, I didn't, I tried to focus on school as much as I could, which I never really So happened. then how did you, because, you know, my, my father left when I was three years old, three months old. And mm-hmm. I never knew how to be a dad. So what was right. it like when you became a dad and you really didn't, well, everything you knew was what not to do. So how did you learn what to do being a dad? Well, but what I learned was that I didn't know anything. <laughs> that was number one, that I thought I knew, but I didn't. And I think the reason that I, I didn't mind being a father, even though I didn't know what I was doing, was because I was, I was, I was yearning for that love, like that attention and that comfort and, and that love. And so at the time then, I had my stepfather in my life. So that became a good thing. Um, because of him being around, he kind of, he put some structure in the house, uh, but he was very laid back. He wasn't a, a dad that'd be like yelling at you or screaming at you. He was like really mellow. The one that ran the house was my mother still, but she was in a good way. And, and so with when I was growing up in that environment with my stepfather and my mother, um, I was trying to implement the same thing, but for some crazy reason, um, I was not doing that. I wasn't, I wasn't applying what I wanted to apply because I, 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 I really didn't know what direction. And, and of course, my parents, I loved them to death, 
but they're not a parent that get involved in their kid's life and say, listen, maybe you should do this or have you ever thought of doing that or any suggestion, you know, they just sit back and they just say, hey, if you fall, I'm here for you. You got a place to crash. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that, you know, like I want to hear like, okay, so when the kids act like this, what should I do? What should I say? How should I comfort them? Because what I went back at is being how I was treated. So I was very nasty and very mean to my kids with my with my mouth, the way I used to, you know, curse at them and yell at them. And, and, and it was really nasty, you know, because I was giving what I was taught. And then, yeah, I was complaining. I didn't want to be like my father. <laughs> but here I am. I was acting just like him. I get. So now, you know, like I said, I, I'm so grateful for the book that you sent me. I, I love it. Um, it's so, Thanks, it's so powerful. Um, what were the events leading up to writing this book? Well, the crazy thing was um, how I'll start with how everything started. The name Press Forward started. Um, uh, I was going through a real bad divorce. And throughout my life, I was always feeling like there was a void. And I was going through uh, my ups and downs. I was going through separation, not being with my kids, not with my family. I was um, I was a hot mess. I was all over the place. And then... Um, uh, in 2008, uh, I worked for the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Prison. I'm still there now. I still got five years left to retire. Um, I had an inmate started ministering the word. And, and it was crazy because at the time I got in a gift. It was a Bible devotional book. I didn't know what it was because I never even read a Bible or even know what was a Bible because in my house, we never talked about it. And so... At that time, in May 2008, I gave my life to the Lord. I became a Christian, uh, born again. And um, so, and then fast forward, <laughs> once I found out who, uh, when I found out about the word, I found out my void was already filled. So that made me complete because throughout my life, I'm going through all these different relationships and just jumping from job to job not settling in. I never felt like, I just felt like I was looking for something, didn't know what I was looking for. And the minute that I did find what was looking for me and it was there, I kind of stopped the search. And now I knew I was on a mission. So, um, so I then, uh, 2013, almost 2012, I was already separated. Yeah. And going through this thing in 2013, I was at a place like my darkest, darkest area, because if I then now I had lost everything, my house, my family, um, and, and I was too proud to ask, uh, actually tell my family what I was going through, because that, just, that was just me. I, I don't like involving other people, and I, was, and I was feeling ashamed that I couldn't keep my family together, or I can't keep a job together, and then um, I remember I get on my knees, and I was praying, and then and the Lord puts in my heart talking about a word next level and I kept saying to him listen if that word is not in the bible I definitely am not going to serve you you know like if you can show me that word next level in the bible from this point on I'll serve you I remember sitting well, I wasn't sitting I was kneeling on the floor because I was crying already I was at at my lowest point and I remember him telling me to read Philippians three twelve all the way to 16 and so I'm just going with the motion, just reading it, whatever. 
And then I get to 314 and I start reading. It says, press on towards the goals to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then I kept reading. And then I go back again. That word, press on towards, really stuck out so hard. Uh, now I start to be like, okay, and I got to look for this word. What does that really mean? <laughs> I knew what it meant, but I was just trying to play dumb. And um, and so end up happening was I ran into a letter in the uh, in one of the dictionaries says pressing towards going to the next level, and then that was the birth of press forward. And so now up to this point, I already now knew. And so what inspired me to write this book was actually a gentleman um, that I knew uh, that I still know. He's one of my mentors. And he had heard my story and he had heard me speak in a couple of places. And he was the one that encouraged me to actually write a book. And I kept like pulling him off. I can't like blow him off because I'm like, I can talk all day long. I hate writing. You know, <laughs> like I hate writing. Um, but he knew that I had the gift of speaking and how to get uh, I can connect with anyone. Um, and so they made it good for me, I guess, in that point. But he was like, you need to get it out there because you know, there are people out there that really need to listen to what you went through and so on. And I'm like, listen, there's people out there that have been through 10 times worse than I have been. Why would I even want to bother? And so with that, the following day, I started getting this whole thing in my heart about the 99 sheeps and how he goes back for one. And that's what really brought me to do it. You know, it was put in my heart. I don't care. You don't have to minister to 10,000 people, but if you won't save one life, that's all that matters. And so that's what encouraged me then to start writing the book. Okay. So, you know, I wrote my book two years ago, put it out on Amazon. It's still doing well and changing lives. But a lot of people awesome, think that, awesome. you know, once you write a book you and you publish it or put it on Amazon, all of a sudden you're rich and famous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, no, that'll and happen. People don't realize that when you put a book out, there's it's a lot of work after. I mean, there's a lot of work beforehand, especially for, you know, for people and like after. me, you right. know, I, I only have a ninth grade education. So, you know, I had okay. to have it really edited and, to even make it sound like it was in English. But, but, okay. <laughs> but people don't realize how much work it takes after you put it on Amazon or wherever that you actually have to work right. on, to get the word out there that you have a book out there. So how did that go? Right, right. Yeah, because, you know, it, it, I, I have to agree with you because a lot of people don't realize that. Not only that, when, once you put it out, now you put, you labeling yourself. You just marketing yourself. Now you have to continue to encourage and you have to have, you know, the same will. You can't talk the talk and not walk the walk. You know, because a lot of people do that. They they publish good, you know, books and they put them out there, but then they they down the road get caught up with something and they realize, you know, this guy doesn't even match the book. And so that's for me. I'm saying I'm speaking on my uh, how I'm experiencing. And so it puts me in a place where I have to make sure I got to step up my A game. Two, I have to make sure that if I'm really serious about what I wrote, this is about me. This is about not just something that I'm making up. This is something that I lived. And I'm really um, passionate about trying to reaching out whoever, wherever, um, to make sure that they get some sort of help or that my testimony does something to just stir them up. Because, you know, it's a big difference when you motivate somebody, then you inspire. 
I, I, you know, the motivation is good, but that's like, it goes away. But when you say and do certain things, um, my, my thing is I want to stir them up to a point where they get inspired to actually get in gear, to, you know, put it in motion. Cause then, you know, that for me is a big thing. Like I, I realized that now we're coming out with a book and I didn't realize there's so much work because <laughs> it's like every day you got to put it out there. Every day you got to put it out there. And then and then on top of that, now you have to be more creative of how you're going to get it out there. Who are you going to get it out there? Who are your audience? Because, you know, a lot of people speak, but you have certain audience that you're trying to target, you know, and so it goes the same with you, you know, so with your story and then you being probably in the military and all that. I'm definitely gonna go on and check your book. So I'm definitely gonna purchase that. So, but it, it is it is hard, you know. People and it's true. It, 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 I've seen people that had seven books and they're still, you know, like they ain't getting there because of the book. They're not there because of the book. So people don't realize that. Yep. Um. And you know, a lot of people, you know, because now especially, you know, I know a lot of speakers, a lot of people that were, you know, talking on stages. All of a sudden, COVID mm-hmm. hit. And there is no talking on stages, especially in the state of New Jersey and New York. They kind of lock everything down. Right. So how did you pivot right. while, during COVID and during this time? How did you? How were you still getting your word out? Well, I um, right now I'm associated with Compel America. They were the one that actually helped me through the whole book and everything. Um, they're anti-bully organization, nonprofit, and they deal with uh, cyberbullying, um, depression, suicide, um, and, and that nature. And that's where I like to be. Actually, that's me. And um, and so with them, I kind of work. With, uh, you know, like they pretty much would tell me, "Hey, you thought of, uh, you thought about going here, doing this." So they kind of we help each other out. Um, and so. Also, the other blessing was that the school where I'm actually working at now, I'm actually was contracted as an outside speaker at first. And then so happened the vice principal that's there, uh, Frank Mohorn, uh, he ended up calling me one day and just kept hearing about this motivational speaker called Press Forward. He didn't know who it was, finally got a hold of me. We spoke on the phone. He wanted me to come to the town hall. Um, that where I live at, so I can get an idea of what's going on, and uh, then hopefully that I can then plug in with the school and so on. But he needed to know first what was my audience, and um, <clears throat> and so when we finally met, it was so happened he was my boss twenty years ago. Like talk about a small world. I didn't realize who it was, and he didn't realize who it was. And then we just kind of laughed it off, and he's like, "Listen, I still got a program, which is a program that I had." Started a long time back, but he had started it way before I even thought of working at the group home. And um, and so I picked up from there. So that was the luxury of me now getting my word out there. It's with the school I'm at now. So I go there every Wednesday uh, from 9 to 11.30. And then there's other times where he needs me to do anything else. Um, I usually take care of that. But I'm the, uh, I am considered uh, a community life mentor. And so what I do is I deal with the high-risk kids and kids that are going through trouble and um, depression and suicide or drug abuse or any of that nature. And I kind of bring them into my world. And, and we, you know, we come up with a figuring a way of how to help these kids. And then I also use Instagram. I've been using uh, Facebook as well. 
and and that's pretty much what I've been doing. So, and I've been doing a lot of virtual uh, uh, speaking and uh, Zoom meetings and conference, and uh, I've been doing the podcast. Um, so that's how I've been getting my work. Okay, so there. you know, because I'm somebody that has, you know, I'm eighty percent blind, so I totally get the the disability, but I also realize that we can either be a victim or we can be a victor mm-hmm. and we choose whether we have That's a disability right. or a disability. So how did you right. switch your mindset and deciding, all right, I'm not going to let this hearing issue define me. Um, I want to say when I got a lot older, because I was still battling with the whole issue. I had a lot of complaints about everything. So I was not happy that I can hear. I couldn't get haircuts like normal people would because I had a bald spot in my room right at my right ear. Um, I had a hearing aid. So, and I just kept on with this whole pity party for a long time. And and I remember, I know that when I was a kid, there was a kid that was bothering this girl that was in my class, Jane. She was such a sweetheart. Well, she had a disability where her leg was shorter than the other and and everything else, a whole bunch of limb problems. And she was really sweet though. But kids used to pick on her. And I got to the point where I just got fed up. And then that right there changed my whole mindset that I either gonna have to stand up for myself and for people that are like me, or just crawl in the rock and, you know, and just stay there, you know? And so I had a choice. And I guess because the way it, the, You might have let your phone uh, lock, so it, it muted you. Your phone might have locked, brother. So, hold on a second, guys. So, like I said, guys, this book is truly amazing. Um, I, it's very, it's a very short book, and which kind of I like it because you can knock it out in, a, in an hour or so. And, but it's a very, very powerful book, and it's called "Press the Number Four Word," W A R D. Press forward. And it's and it's on um, his name is Jose Morales, and you definitely need to check it out. Um, I I related to a lot of it, especially coming from an abused household, um, being picked on. Um, so, and then having this disability, which I call a disability. Uh, you definitely need to check this book out. Um, Uh, like I said, I, I got it in the mail yesterday and within an hour, um, I read it and I think it was truly amazing. So guys, like I said, um, this is a great book. 
you definitely need to check it out. Uh, it's called Press Forward by Jose Morales. Um, and if you're anything, if you take anything from this recording, um, just let it know that your past does not define your future. So, and a lot of times it's, it's very, very cliche, but um, for me, my mess became my message. So guys, if you struggling with anything growing up hard, you know, and abused, uh, if you grew up with disabilities, if you grew up being different than everybody else, you can flip the, flip the script and use that to your advantage as you get older. Like I knew I had ADD, ADHD, uh, but they didn't know that at the time back in, back in, um, in the seventies. So, uh, but now as an adult, um, ADHD is my superpower because now I could do one thing. I can talk to, be talking to one person, solving a problem here, talking to the family, doing this and that. I use it as my superpower. That's why, you know, even with my blindness, I don't call it a disability. I call it a disability because just because my, my vision went down, my hearing went up, my listening power went up exponentially. So now when a person's talking, I can actually hear them and listen to what they say. And, and so that's why I love what I'm doing during this podcast. So, guys, if you get a chance, check out my brother Jose's book. It's called Press Forward, P-R-E-S-S, the number four, W-A-R-D. And I'll put a link in the comments. So, guys, I want to thank you for listening. Leave a comment. If this touched your soul, leave, leave a review for us. Uh, it helps us reach more people and help more people. And, guys, uh, if you're a veteran, definitely check out disgruntledvets.org. Um, they help veterans like myself struggling with PTSD, TBI. And they also have some fun pages where you can go and have fun and act like kids like when we were back in the military. All right, guys, I love you. Have an amazing day. And like Vertical Momentum, our slogan is the only way to go is butt up. All right, guys, love you. Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.